Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to visit southernhillslv.com to watch or listen to past messages. We hope you enjoy today's message from God's Word. Oh, temptation. Is there anyone here like me that struggles sometimes, occasionally, with temptation? How many of you, like Josh, you struggle with temptation? Raise your hand. Some of you don't. You know, you're very religious. You're very... You know, not me, Pastor Georgia. I haven't sinned in 30 years. <laughs> uh, well, some of you are like really religious. You're way better than us. You know, God's even impressed by you. But for some of us, the rest of us, like we struggle with temptation. Temptation, we really do. A, a lot. Um, and by the way, can I just begin this sermon and this talk by telling you, to face temptation is not a sin. To be tempted to do something you ought not, something you shouldn't, to, to be tempted to sin is not sin. In fact, even in the passage we're about to study, Jesus himself was tempted, but he didn't sin. So it's okay to be tempted. What's not good is to give in to the temptation. Here's why. Because you have an enemy named Satan, and he wants you to fail. He wants you to fall. He wants to destroy your life, destroy your happiness, destroy your joy, destroy your peace, destroy your love, destroy what God is building. And the way he does it is by tempting you. And he knows you so well, he custom fits and custom makes a temptation that fits particularly well for you. You have an enemy. And you have temptation. For me, my temptations a lot of times have to do with my mouth. This is my trouble area. Anybody else have a trouble area? How many of you, your trouble area is your mouth? I have a problem with what goes in and what goes out. You know what I mean? Like what goes in, I'm a donut guy. I like donuts. I'll drive down Blue Diamond Road and I see Mezo's Donuts. How many of you know Mezo's Donuts? Oh my word, it can be the greatest blessing in the world if you stop in and buy one donut maybe once a week. But for me, every single time I drive by, I want to buy seven donuts seven days a week. I do not like to stop at one donut. And I'm not kidding when I say this. I'll drive up and down Blue Diamond Road, and every time I drive, every time I look at the sign. <laughs> and I feel the calling of the devil. You know what I mean? I know it's not time to have one or 10 or seven. Some of you, how many of you like donuts like I do? You love donuts? How many of you love donuts so much you're like, Pastor, that's not Mezos, that's Krispy Kreme? How many of you already knew that? Some of you are just bothered. You're like, you're all upset inside. Like, that's Krispy Kreme. I know it is. Trust me. I see it by the picture. I know it is. So what goes in can be a temptation. What comes out can be a temptation. My words. I, I, was, um, I was blessed since I was a child with the um, incredible ability of quick wit that knows exactly the wrong thing to say at exactly the right time that gets me in all sorts of trouble. How many of you have been blessed, cursed, with the type of mind that thinks of exactly the right thing to say at the wrong time that can hurt somebody? I mean, it eviscerates them. It tears them in two. You hurt me, I will destroy you. And you say it, and it's like it wounds. How many of you, you have the problem with what comes out of your mouth? How many of you are like me? All right. And you know that moment, right? The moment you think of it, and you're like, I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to. <laughs> Temptation. And I'm only sharing with you one trouble area, my mouth. There's all sorts of other trouble areas. My eyes, my ears, my hands, my feet. I struggle with temptation. 
I've explained that you have an enemy who tempts you today, but I want you to understand that you not only have an enemy, you also have an example to follow. An enemy who fights you, but an example to follow. Jesus Christ in this passage, specifically Luke chapter 4, we see an example of Jesus Christ who is tempted by the devil in all ways, the way we are tempted, yet he does not sin. He fights, but he always wins. He fights the battle, but how many of you would like to at least sometimes win against temptation? If you would, say amen. How many of you would like to get in the ring against the devil, and maybe you're not going to win all the time, but you would like to improve your score. You'd like to improve your record. You'd like to win more than you lose. How many of you, like me, you'd like to do that? Amen? See, if you want to learn how to fight better, it's good if you go to somebody who knows what they're doing and learn from them. That's why if I was going to learn to be a boxer, the person I would want to learn to be a boxer from would be Floyd Mayweather. I would want to learn from him. Now, some of you are like, I have a better boxer that I like. Maybe you do, but I'll tell you this about Floyd Mayweather. 50 professional fights. Do you know how many times he's lost? Zero. Undefeated. I always wanted to be that guy, you know what I mean? And now the undefeated. undefeated. He's never lost. He's never, he's never lost. Listen to me. He's never lost. Why is it that we try to learn how to fight from people who lose? <laughs> right? Those who can't teach, and then we go hire them to teach us, but they're always losing. Let me be very clear about this sermon. I am not going to teach you how I overcome temptation. Oh, I've learned how to have a better record. I've learned to beat the devil more than he beats me, but I still lose. I'm not telling you to follow my example as it relates to fighting the devil in the ring. What I am telling you is there's a Floyd Mayweather who is undefeated as it relates to temptation. The undefeated heavyweight title champion when it comes to fighting the devil is Jesus Christ. He lived 33 and a half years and he never once lost a battle. He never sinned. And Luke chapter 4 gives us the example of Jesus of how he overcame temptation. So let's go ahead and study it together. Are you ready for battle? If you are, say amen. amen. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Let's go ahead and read it together. I'm going to make some comments. After I'm done reading it, making comments, I'm going to give you three practical things that you can take home and live with. Let's go ahead and study it together. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, Return from the Jordan, the Jordan River. Why does Luke tell us that here? Here's why. Because this passage picks up after the last episode that we just learned. Remember, we're in a sermon series entitled The Wonder Years, Episodes in the Backstory of Jesus. It's telling us the origin story of Jesus before Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to all the nation of Israel in Luke chapter number 5. And in these episodes, we've already learned, we've already seen Jesus as a baby. Luke wants us to know that. Jesus as a teenager, Luke wants us to know that. Jesus is crazy cousin. Then we learned about his backstories, his family lineage last week. And now he wants us to see this private episode, this moment where Jesus fights against the devil himself before he reveals himself to all of Israel as the Messiah. And when he does this, he reveals himself as somebody who just came from the River Jordan. Why? Because Jesus had just been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit of God came down upon him like a dove. And if you remember, God the Father shouted out, this is my beloved son. You can trust him. We learned all of that two weeks ago. 
Now we arrive, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, out into the middle of the desert, Jesus by himself, only with the filling of the Holy Spirit with him and God the Father above watching him, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Stop. Some people, as Christians, we'll read this. We'll say, oh yeah, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And then he was tempted by the devil. That's not what it says. It doesn't say he was in the wilderness for 40 days by himself and then he was tempted. He was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted. This is 40 days of nonstop temptation, toe to toe, fist to fist, cuff to cuff, battling and fighting against Satan himself for 40 days. He never loses. He never loses. And it only tells us about three of the temptations that take place. This 40-day battle is fascinating that takes place in the wilderness because this hero finally beats the devil. I love it because every time you, the last time you see somebody in the wilderness trying to fight the devil, they always lose in the Bible. Adam and Eve in the wilderness, they fight against the devil, they lose. Moses in the wilderness fighting against the devil, he loses. David in the wilderness fighting against the devil, he loses. Samson in the wilderness fighting against the devil, he loses. Every quote unquote hero in the Bible is always losing against the devil. Now comes Jesus, this guy who has a crazy cousin and a screwed up lineage, and he fights against the devil and he wins every time. Look at what it says in verse four. In verse three, excuse me, the devil comes to Jesus and says to him, if you are the son of God, stop. If you are the son of God. If, if you are the son of God. Why does, why does Satan say this? Because it was just declared by God himself at the Jordan from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. He I am well pleased with. Now, the first thing the devil does is come to Jesus and make him, tempt him to question his identity. Come on, I mean, really, you're the son of God? Look at you. Wandering out here in the wilderness, starving, nobody knows you, nobody cares about you, family's scandalous, your cousin's crazy. Nobody knows you. You're the, really the son of God? Prove it, prove it, prove it. I've noticed this in temptation. One of the first things the devil attempts to do is attack your identity in God. You really think you're a, oh, so you're a Jesus person now. Oh, you're a disciple of Jesus. Oh, you go to church. Oh, I, and the devil looks at you and says, I know who you really are. I've been with you your whole life. And now you're gonna turn this whole thing around. You think you are a child of God? That's what the devil does. He questions our identity. And then if we begin to question our own identity, yeah, maybe I'm not really a Christian, then he gets you to live the way he wants you to live. He undermines your strength by questioning your identity. You're not really a boxer. You're not that great. You're not really a fighter. You can't do this. If you're really the son of God, what does he say? Command that these stones become bread. Here we find the very first truth. Here it is. First truth that I want to point out later on in the sermon, and that is this. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Verse number four. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now remember that phrase, man shall not live by bread alone. Verse five. Then the devil taking him up to a very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. 
So now we have this moment where Jesus is transported by this spirit, Satan, transported from where they are looking at stones to the top of a mountain. And now they're looking out and Satan has this ability to project the images of the kingdoms of the world around and says to Jesus, well, let's go ahead and read it. I'll show you exactly what he says to Jesus. He says to Jesus, um, the devil taking him up to a high mountain, showed him the kings of the world and all the mountain, verse, verse six, and all the authority that I will give unto you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. This is what Satan says. He looks at Jesus and says, do you like all these kingdoms? Would you like to be the king of all these kingdoms? Would you like to be the Lord of all these lords? Would you like to take your position as the God of this world? And then he makes a really weird claim. Satan says, because I own all these kingdoms and I can give these kingdoms to whoever I want to. Now, some Bible readers at this point will look and be like, whoa, that's a, that's a weird thing to say. The devil doesn't own this world. And that's the way I used to think until I started studying the Bible more. And the reality is the devil, Satan himself, had full right to offer the kingdoms of the world and the godship of the world to Jesus. And here's why. Because the Bible tells us that Satan is the God of this world. You say, how did that take place? Don't you remember how God created the world? God created the world and he gave the world over to your great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. And what did Satan do but come into the garden and convince them to sin? And in doing so, they sold their birthright. In doing so, they lost their kingdom. In doing so, they signed over the deed to planet Earth to the serpents, to Satan. That's why the Bible calls him Satan, the prince and the power of the air the rulers of the darkness of this world. He is the God of this world. He is the king of the kingdoms that we see. That's why we see the corruption in the world that we do. It's not because they follow God. It's because they follow their God, Satan. And so Satan had full right, theologically speaking, legally speaking, from an eternal perspective speaking. He said, Jesus, you want all this? It can be yours. Jesus is tempted. He's tempted. He's tempted, which means he has to fight this moment. And what does he say to him? What's the deal, Satan? He said, therefore, verse 7, if you just bow down and worship me, all of this will be yours. Pretty simple, Jesus. All you got to do is bow down and worship me, and I'll give you, you'll be the king of all these kings. I'll just be your king. You'll be the god of all these nations. I'll be your god. Here's where we'll see the second lesson later on in the sermon. Hear it. When it comes to temptation, hear it. If you rush it, you'll ruin it. If you try to rush it, you'll ruin it. Verse 8, Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. So Jesus wins again, verse 9, and he brought Jesus to Jerusalem and set him up at the pinnacle of the temple. Immediately, Satan transports Jesus to a third location. Now they're in Jerusalem, and they're at the pinnacle of the temple, which is the corner lot of the temple that was built on top of a mountain, which means it was very high up. In fact, you can see the pinnacle of the temple 
to this day. If you travel to Jerusalem with me, someday I'll show you. Here's a photograph of where this place would have been. Let's go ahead and go there. It's this corner lot. Now, it's actually about 12 to 15 feet deeper than this because over the centuries, you begin to see clutter of, of dirt and stones and all of other things start to pile up. So Jesus would have been in this corner. He would have been looking down stories and stories down. And now he's standing there with Satan. And Satan looks at Jesus and says, doesn't the Bible say that if you're really the Messiah, you can throw yourself from this pinnacle of the temple. You can throw yourself down and the angels will come and swoop you up lest you stub your, your toe against the stone. Isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't that what your scripture says? Satan says this to Jesus. What was his temptation? The temptation that Satan gave to Jesus was that I know that God has a specific way for you, but there's another way to show that you can get everything that you want. And so he says in verse 10, as it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and all of their hands will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Verse 12, and Jesus answered and said unto him, it, is, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Then verse 13, now when the devil had ended every temptation, every temptation, they were all thrust upon Jesus. You say, I've been through a lot of temptations. There's no temptation that has taken you that has not taken Jesus. Once he has overcome all of these temptations, Jesus, uh, Satan departed from Jesus until another opportune time. Wow, there's so much we can learn today from this passage. I only want to point out three truths. Three truths that I believe if we look to our example, we can avoid temptation and win against the devil more often than we do. If you're ready for these three, give me an amen. Here's the first one. The very first one we need to see is, I mentioned it already, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Say it with me. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Here's the question. Satan looks down at Jesus and says, turn these stones into bread. Aren't you hungry? 40 days without food. By the way, have you ever gone 40 days without food? Some of us don't go 40 minutes without thinking, I got to eat something. You know what I mean? You get hungry like I do. 40 days without food. And what, is Jesus, what does he say? Turn these stones to bread. Here's my question to you. Could Jesus, can Jesus turn stones into bread? Yes or no? Sure he can. He's God, right? If he can turn water into wine, he can turn stones into bread. The question is not, could he? The question is, should he? Should he? Man, pastor, I got this problem with my words too. My mind, it just thinks of the wrong thing and I just, it hurt me. So I could, I know in this moment, I could, I could absolutely eviscerate this person. I could cut them down and make them feel the way they made me feel. I could do it. I get it. You have the ability. I'm not asking, can you? I'm asking, should you? Should you? Say, man, I could easily... Pastor, I could easily just binge on this box of chocolates. I could wipe my lips and no one would ever know. We laugh because we've been there. And for some of you, my brothers and sisters, for some of you, genuinely, this hits you because it's not a laughing matter. 
Like, I know I could totally binge, wipe my lips, nobody would ever know. The question is not, can you do it and get away with it? The question is, should you? Should you? I could easily transfer these funds and it would be completely untraceable. Nobody would ever know. Plus, they owe it to me anyway. It's not, can you? It's, should you? I could watch this pornography. I could delete it. Nobody would ever see my history. Nobody ever watched it. Nobody knows. Nobody will know. I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying should. I could replay this injustice. They hurt me. Pastor, you don't understand. They hurt me. And I can sit here in the dark, and I could replay it in my mind over and over and over I can do that. I can think about it. I can anger myself. I can become bitter. I can. I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying, should you? Do you really want to be there? I could disobey my parents. They're not at home right now. I can do this thing that I know I'm not supposed to do, watch this thing I'm not supposed to watch, go this place that I'm not supposed to go. I could disobey them and they would never find out. I'm not asking if you can get away with it. I'm asking, should you do it? I could skip another Sunday. I could skip another Sunday and prioritize pleasure or prioritize my professional life. I'm not asking, can you, Christian? I'm asking, should you? The temptation is real. I am not negating that. The question is, can you overcome the temptation, not can you sin? I could have that new car if I wanted it. I really could. I could have that new car. I could fill my house with new furniture if I wanted to. All I have to do is swipe the card, swipe the card, swipe the card. I can have it. I can have it. I can go on that trip that I can't afford. I'll go where I want to go, when I want to go. I can do it because I just put it on credit. I'm not asking if you can. I'm asking, should you? I understand what it is to be bored and feel empty inside and scroll through purchasing websites and just want to buy something that maybe makes me feel better. But in reality, you can buy that on Amazon. The question is, should you, should you, should you? We all have unique temptations. And the temptations that are facing you, I'm telling you, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Point number one, say it with me. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Say it with me. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. This is what we learn from Jesus. Number two, what we learn from Jesus, if you rush it, you'll ruin it. If you rush it, you'll ruin it. Satan says to Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world could be yours. Let me, let me ask you a question about Jesus. Does God the Father want Jesus to become king of kings, lord of lords? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, actually, if, for those who are new to Christianity, yes, that's the whole plan. The whole plan is for the second Adam, Jesus Christ, to come and secure that which the first Adam lost. It's the destiny of Jesus Christ to become king of kings, lord of lords, and to gain all that power, all that authority, all that responsibility, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the king of kings, Jesus Christ. That's the plan of God. So I'll ask you again. Is it the plan of God the Father that Jesus Christ becomes king of all the, all the world? Yes or no? Yes. But here was Satan's proposition. Satan says to Jesus, essentially, you don't have to go through the gory 
to get to the glory. You just bow down and worship me. You don't have to go through the cross to get to the crown. All you have to do is... You can skip the line. You can cheat the system. You don't have to go through it to get to it. You can rush it. And here's a lesson that we learned from Jesus here. If you rush it, you'll ruin it. Let's say we got together for dinner. And I'm like, hey, come on over. We're going to have dinner together at my house and we're going to get steaks. Oh. Like, no, just, not just, a, you know, you know, not just trashy piece of meat, some good cuts of, of, of grade A beef, baby. You know what I'm talking about? Like a prime rib or filet or a T-bone, porterhouse. What's the difference between a porterhouse and a T-bone? What do you think? Yeah, it's, well, it's bigger. You know what I mean? There's more to it. I love, I love a good steak. I mean, we got potatoes. We're going to have potatoes, a salad, some asparagus. I love, how many of you love asparagus and how many of you have no good taste? Raise your hand, all right. I love asparagus, some potatoes and salad and, oh, it's just going to be a great feast. And you come over to my house and you, I, I say, first thing I want to show you, I want to show you the meat I purchased. You'd be like, oh man, you didn't get this from like, you know, Vaughn's or Albertson's. I went down to the butcher on Rainbow that charges twice as much as everybody else. The good stuff, you know what I mean? You know which one I'm talking about. And you go over there, you get the good stuff, and I'm like, check it out. And you're like, man, that looks good. And I look at, I look at you and I'm saying, are you hungry? You're like, man, Pastor, I'm hungry. Let's do this thing. And I take it, I wrap it in a bag, I throw it in the microwave, and I put on 10 minutes. <laughs> Why do you laugh? What's the problem? But I'm hungry. You're hungry too. Yeah, Pastor, but if you try to rush it, you're going to ruin it. This is exactly what the devil is telling Jesus. What the devil is saying to Jesus is, I know your destiny is to be king of kings. Here's how to get there. You don't have to go through the cross to get to the crown. You don't have to go through the glory to get to the glory. Just quickly, skip the line, cheat the system, bow down and worship me. And the temptation Jesus faced was the same temptation you face to rush it. But think about it, if Jesus bowed down and worshiped the devil, he ruins it. He ruins the whole thing. It doesn't work now. And this is what happens to us, friend. Does God want you to feel satisfaction from your hunger? Well, of course he does. Of course he wants you to, but the problem is we live a life of such convenience that we We feel like if we ever feel hunger or feel thirsty, we must immediately fill it. And not just fill it, overfill it. And so we rush instead of waiting. Does God want you to experience sexual fulfillment? In most cases, yes. Yes. But what happens? The devil comes to you and says, you know what? This isn't coming soon enough. She's not taking care of your needs. He's not taking care of your needs. Why don't you go out and take care of your own needs? And you rush, and then you ruin. You got a young teenage boy, a teenage girl. They live in a hypersexualized, oversexualized culture. 
And as they do, as is God's intended plan, they begin to feel sexual desires, sexual tension starts to rise up. We live in a society that says, if it feels good, do whatever you wanna do. It's not gonna affect you. You're your own person. You do your own thing. There's no God. There's no answer for any of this stuff. And what happens is we allow children, we teach them almost as if it's okay. Listen to me, teenagers. Forget the world who wants to tempt you, the devil who wants to destroy you and your own flesh that fights against you. When you rush it, you end up ruining it. Does God want you to have nice things? In most cases, what we see in scripture, your heavenly father does. In most cases, that's a whole nother sermon. The problem is, we don't wanna wait for what God is going to give us. We don't wanna wait. So I'm 24 years old and I look at my parents' car and I look at my parents' house and I look at my parents' furniture that they've worked their entire life for and we decide to rush and then we ruin. Even worse than going into credit card debt and swiping everything that we possibly can, instead of that, some of us have rushed it so much here in Las Vegas, we'll slip down to the casino whenever we can and we think, I know that God has plans for me one day. Maybe I'll just put it all on red and spin the wheel. Or better yet, blackjack, that's a better shot. It's all gambling. And you have seen in your life when you try to rush it instead of being patient upon God, you end up ruining the blessing. Does this make sense? So I'm trying to help you. Right? Like I'm a trainer who knows the guy who's never been defeated. And I'm like, let me tell you how he wins. The first thing he understands is just because you can doesn't mean you should. So now, next time you're in the ring, realize just because I can doesn't mean I should. You win. The next time you're in the ring, you're fighting and you're ready to be hit. You realize, whoa, if I rush this, I'm going to ruin it. Then you win. Here's the third thought and we'll be done. Number three. There are many lessons. I'm only giving three from this passage. I hope you come up with your own in small group. But here's the third one. God's way is the only way. God's way is the only way. Was it God's plan to eventually elevate and exalt Jesus Christ to the recognized position of Messiah? Was it God's plan for eventually all of Israel to look up into the sky and see Messiah descending from the clouds and they all recognize he's the one? Is that eventually God's plan? Well, as you study scripture, yes, that's God's plan. That was God's way to do it. But what Satan said is, hey, you're at the temple. Why don't you jump down? All these people walking around, they'll see you and they'll know you're Messiah. Mm. Friend, God's way is the only way. Some of you have some promises that God has in your life. He re you really do. Listen to me. Some of you have some promises God's going to fulfill. You know it. You're headed there. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. You're like Abraham, though. Abraham was 100 years old. He was promised by God, you're going to have a son, and the son is going to be the leader of a great nation, and from you, all the world will be blessed. But he's 100 years old, and he looked at his wife, and she's in her 90s, and he's like, I believe you, God, but come on, really? Like, we're going to have a kid, and everything's going to be okay? And God's like, patience, I'll take care of it, I'll take care of it. The promise of God will come to fruition. 
But what did Abraham do? Instead of following God's way, he created his own way. And he went out and he slept with his wife's servant, Hagar. And because he rushed it, he ruined it. Because he went his own way and not God's way, he destroyed it. He messed it up. And what I'm telling you, friend, is when you're ready to be in the ring against the devil, you got to stop and say, is this God's way? Am I doing it God's way? I have some practical thoughts, and then we'll dismiss. Here's what you need when you're in the battle. Here's what you need, what we see from here. Here's what you need, four things you need. Number one, you need the power of the scripture with you. Here's what you see every time Jesus fights the devil. Every time they're toe-to-toe, Jesus quotes the scripture. And the reason he's able to quote the book of Deuteronomy is because he studied the Bible. Friend, listen to me. One of the reasons why some of us in the room are constantly losing when we fight Satan is because we don't know the scripture. And you believe the lie that this is some incomprehensible book that you cannot master. It's not true. You can know it. You come to church every Sunday, get in a small group, start reading your Bible, start getting discipled, sign up for membership class, sign up for discipleship. What you're going to know is more and more of this. And when you get in the ring to fight, you'll have all this power of the scripture to fight the devil. You can get there. You just have to put in the effort. You have to have a training montage like Rocky. You know what I mean? Power of the scripture. Number two, here's what you need. You need the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you go back to verse number one of chapter four, it will say that Jesus was first filled with the spirit. He then left Jordan and went into the wilderness. But we as Christians, we just skip past that as we read the Bible. No, everything that came beyond it was the fact that he had the presence of the Holy Spirit within him. Now, some of you, you might say, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? Here's how you get the Holy Spirit. You receive Christ as your savior. And the Bible says the moment you're saved, you're filled with the spirit. Could it be possible the reason why you always lose in the battle is because you're not a child of God? You have no spirit filling. You're just a son of Adam, a daughter of Eve, completely in the flesh, and the flesh will fail you every time. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have you been saved? If you haven't been saved, today you can repent and receive Christ as your Savior. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Have the presence of the Scripture in your life. And win. here's the fourth, third thing you need to have. You need the power of the Scripture. You need the presence of the Holy Spirit. You also need proof that victory is possible. Say, what do you mean proof? That's the point of this story. Jesus is proof that victory is possible. See, some of you are like the Dallas Cowboys. You've lost so many times. You just don't even believe you can win anymore. My brothers and sisters, some of you have lost in the ring of with Satan so many times, you genuinely think, nice sermon preacher, but there's no way I ever win. This shows you you can win. The last thing is you need to focus on the person, the person. The way to overcome temptation, the last thought, is what's helped me most, is you need to focus on the person you love. You know how Jesus was able to overcome temptation? I like the old song that says, when Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. Do you know why he doesn't bow before Satan? Because he was thinking of you. 
Do you know why he didn't turn stones into bread? Because he wanted you more than he wanted food. Do you know why Jesus doesn't throw himself from the pinnacle and allow angels to carry him off? It's because he knew that the only way he could get you is so that he had to die upon the cross to save you from your sins. You were what he focused on. You were the person he loved. And so it kept him from sinning. You say, what do I need to focus on? My children, my wife, friend, no. You need to focus on the one who loves you. I have found in fighting Satan, when I am thinking of how much Jesus loves me and how much I love him, it is the love of Christ that constrains me from sinning against him. Fall in love with Jesus more. Spend time with him more. Know him more so that when the devil brings some little specific tiny trinket called a temptation, you're like, there's no way I want that. I want him. I want him. I want you. I want you to win more. And of all the people in the world, I'm telling you, I believe you can. Because I believe he is not only our victor, he is our example. Let us pray. Father, today we have been challenged by your life. We've been challenged, Jesus, by your example. And my prayer is for myself. Oh, first of all and foremost, myself. Help me to win more often. And I pray for my friends. I pray you'd help them to win more often too. Help us to follow these principles that we learned from this passage and live for you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If God has used this message to impact your life, we would love to hear from you. Please send an email to connectdesk at southernhillslv.com. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at southernhillslv.com slash give. We are always encouraged to hear how God is using this church in Las Vegas to reach God's people around the world.